Hi, welcome to The Heavy with Andrew and Don, where we cover a wide range of rock and metal topics. For the casual listener, I'm your host, Don Sutherland, and with me, as always, is my brother and metalhead, Andrew Sutherland. What's up, dirtbags? Andrew, we got mail. We got mail this week. I know, (laughs) it's insane. Uh, So this is coming from Jeremy from Vancouver, who is writing to us about our Al Jorgensen episode. Al Jorgensen, obviously the the most interesting man in the world. Uh, he said he was intrigued by Jorgensen's grandfather's history, who was, of course, a pioneer of artificially inseminating cattle in Cuba. Yeah, and he, yeah well, he had a little fun fact, too. He said apparently Fidel Castro loved cows. Uh, oh. And, in fact, he had a favorite cow who was a national icon named Ubre Blanca, if that's <laughs> the proper Spanish pronunciation, who produced so much milk she broke two world records. And was often mentioned in Castro's spe- speeches, still stuffed and on display in Cuba today. I haven't fact-checked any of this. Is this like so a legit I, world record? Is this like one of those communist dictatorship world records where they just make things up and say that that's the way it is? I feel like <laughs> it might be, if, if he's telling the truth, it might be a real, real world record. And I'm going to assume that Jorgensen's grandpa like must have had some hand in this. You know, well, somehow he, down the he's, line talking, he's talking about it because he was forced to leave... Uh, because of what was it? How successful the inseminating cattle became, or whatever? Well, because they wanted to take all the shit. Basically. Right. Yeah, and it, it was surprising because <laughs> Castro loved cows. Uh, so he said he liked he likes his metal critique with a side of artificial insemination trivia. And the heavy, <laughs> and the heavy is the only it. podcast that's delivered on both so far. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Jeremy from Vancouver. Are you claim the fame? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Andrew, what what are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to talk about the band Pantera and their origin as a glam metal band. Okay, sweet. Let's get into it. Oh, I just spilled beer all over my keyboard. <laughs> that makes it that makes it more metal. You don't need a keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so we're talking about Pantera. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, Pantera is arguably the biggest metal band in the '90s, and uh, inarguably one of the biggest metal bands of all of all time, like in the group with, you know, a, lo- a lot of other big names. So, and most people, even non-metalheads, have heard of Pantera before, but uh, a lot of the uninitiated or pe- people who aren't like real metal fans or real Pantera fans may not know that Pantera started out as a glam band back in the early '80s. This is completely news to me. <laughs> it's like I, I know Pantera on the surface. Because obviously, Cowboys from Hell is one of the biggest metal albums of all time. But um, well, yeah, probably Vulgar Display of Power personally is my favorite of their newer stuff. But this is this stretches way back before Cowboys from Hell. So Cowboys from Hell was the turning point towards their their sound is what a lot of people call groove metal. But previous right. to that, they actually started out with a different singer for the first three albums, and uh, oh. we'll go through the history of that okay. before uh, that- Phil and Samuel yeah. joined the band. All right, so I. Uh, Maybe I'm beating to the punch here, but uh, so Cowboys from Hell is what 1991. 1990. 1990. Okay, so when when was Pantera formed? So the the, the core of the band, or the, like the origin of the band, starts in 1981, actually, okay. in uh, Arlington, Texas. So Arlington, I mean, good city. Yeah, pretty well known. The band came from Texas. So originally, the lineup consisted of uh, Vince Abbott, who's the drummer more well-known as Vinnie Paul later on, and then Daryl Abbott, who's known as Dimebag Daryl to most people. 
and the original singer well actually not the original singer there he was the original singer but he started out as a guitarist terry glaze and then tommy bradford on bass and the vocalist was actually a guy named donnie hart they kind of switched things around later on but uh first band names they actually came up with before pantera according to Vinny, was the uh, gemini and that name is actually influenced by bands like journey and heart believe it or not <laughs> okay and, uh, so there there's their kind of like poppy start already this is like, yeah, way far off from where they ended up being in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then their next name that they came up with was uh, Eternity. And I don't think they ran with either of those for very long. They were just kind of ideas that they came up with. Uh, Eternity is a little cooler. Yeah, it's, it's getting closer to something resembling cool. But uh, <laughs> I guess in the, in the early 80s, that was kind of the thing, right? Those kind of names. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, so I guess a guy from, that Vinny knew from high school... Uh, he got the name Pantera from the Di Tommaso Pantera sports car. It's like an Italian sports car that Ford used to import into the States in the 70s. Huh. But even when they came up with that name, the original band name was actually Pantera's Metal Magic. It's funny. One thing I'm learning is there's a lot of bands that do not have cool starts to their names. And it's like, because we were talking about uh, Led Zeppelin's first band name was, uh, was Whoopee Cushion. And like Led Zeppelin's so cool, and Whoopi Cushion is so not cool. And it's like Pantera's Metal Magic is not quite an awesome name. No, no, it's pretty cumbersome, really, right? <laughs> yeah. So definitely glad they shortened it to Pantera, and that would obviously pay pay off for them later on. But uh, originally, the band didn't even want Daryl in it because he was much younger than them. Well, a couple years younger than most of the other band members. But Vinny insisted that the brothers were a package deal, and Vinny wasn't really keen on the the vocalist they had, Donnie Hart. So the band compromised by allowing Daryl in the band, and then they both stayed at the time. Okay. Another thing, when Daryl started playing guitar, originally he was given a choice by his parents of a BMX or a guitar, and he actually chose the bike first. And then uh, after getting the bike, he discovered Sabbath and Kiss, and then ended up swiping the bike for a guitar or swapping the bike for a guitar. And uh, obviously worked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he definitely picked the right thing. And uh, before he actually learned how to play the guitar. He would paint himself up like Ace Frehley from Kiss and pose in front of the mirror with it. <laughs> well, even... well, you know, just dress for the job you want. That makes yeah, sense. Exactly. It, it, it was a start, right? And uh, <laughs> I guess Vinny would walk by his room and be like, "Hey, you're gonna, I feel like you're gonna learn how to play that thing." <laughs> obviously, you did. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, like when I think of uh, like great guitarists that I like, when you listen to someone like. Daryl Abbott or Dimebag Daryl, as I know him, like it just blows your mind listening to the stuff that he can play. Yeah, well, I mean, even he's the kind of guy that even very accomplished guitarists, like people who are known as best guitarists in rock metal of the world, they they still t- say he was amazing. You know? Yeah, no, it, it it's insane. And uh, his early influences at the time were obviously Ace Frehley, uh, Eddie Van Halen. He was really into early Def Leppard, like their first album, On Through the Night. Uh, Angus Young from ACDC and Michael Shanker from Scorpions and UFO. Yeah, so. that all kind of checks out. You you could, if you've heard even just a little bit of Pantera, you can kind of put those things together and like, yeah, I can hear that. In yeah, I mean, song. he definitely crafted his own style over the years, a very very distinct style. But he early on was influenced by a lot of these guitar greats and got a mm-hmm. lot of techniques from them and stuff and sounds. Uh, so Vinny and Daryl's dad, Jerry, was uh, he was actually a country musician and a songwriter, and he worked at a recording studio called Pantago Sound, and the brothers would learn a lot about music and recording through this. 
And uh, apparently Daryl would ask recording guitarists to show him stuff. Like he'd be helping out at the studio. And in his own words, he'd go up to him and be like, hey, dude, what's the lick of the week? I'd be strapping them dudes up and show me their shit. <laughs> so that was that was like a quote from Dimebag Daryl. So. What a normal thing for a 16-year-old to say, I guess. Yeah, he was probably even younger than 16 at the time because because he was 17 when they recorded the first album. This was maybe a couple of years before that. But uh, another story that Daryl told in a Guitar World interview uh, was one day Vinny came home from school with a fucking tuba. My old man said, son, you won't be able to make a penny playing that thing. Take it right back right now and tell him you're going to play the drums. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty funny. His, and, dad, uh, his dad was right. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, his, their, their dad was on board with everything right off the bat. His, their dad <laughs> produced their first four albums and... Uh, he, you know, he, he even toured with the band for the first few years there too. But he drew the line at the tuba. But yeah, no tuba apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't, you don't hear a lot of parents being like anti-brass band. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I mean, he was already uh, their dad was already into like a professional musician and uh, oh right, he was already songwriter okay. and stuff. Already, so he was already in the industry. Yeah. But uh, so it was already like a business thing right off the bat, kind of right. Yeah, one thing to note is even back then, both brothers were very proficient at their instruments pretty early on. But like Daryl was a prodigy, just like basically in his teens, right? He was already very well, like becoming you said very professional very cool. at, at seventeen, right? That's yeah, like, like they they released George Harrison levels of stuff, like joining the Beatles at eighteen. Yeah, like and he even started pretty late. Like he didn't. I don't think he really learned the guitar until he was about sixteen. Like really got good at it, but he. That's just, pretty crazy. He that's, bore down on it and ended up being really good really early because they, they released their first album when he was 17. Yeah, yeah that's that, that's insane because yeah, like, all the like the musicians that are the greatest musicians of all time, usually you hear like, they were obsessed with it from the age of six and all that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty rare, especially for someone to be that great at it so so quickly. Yeah. You know? He was obviously really focused. Mm-hmm. So uh, after dropping that Metal Magic from their name, the Pantera's Metal Magic, which is pretty silly, uh, they yeah. ended up get they got rid of Donnie Hart, the vocalist, and Terry Glaze, who was one of the guitarists. He moved from guitar to vocals, and then they replaced uh, Bradford with Rex Brown on bass. So now we're getting pretty close to the actual Pantera lineup that people know of, except for the vocalist. Okay. So, uh, and at the time they were considered pretty much glam metal, and they really only toured in Texas, but they were pretty big in Texas, and uh, they supported some of the bigger bands at the time when they would tour through Texas. So bands like Quiet Riot, Striper, and and uh, Dawkin were some oh, of the wow. bands that they. So, so they were one for. of those. So they were one of those bands that that would be like a local opener. Yeah, yeah, for, for some of these bigger bands at the time. Okay. So and and the all their early albums were released on their own label, Metal Magic Records, and produced by their dad Jerry. That's cool. So. Uh, mm-hmm. And Jerry was always really supportive, but he was pretty resistant to how Daryl wanted to play the guitar. Like, well, he, wait, he wouldn't let Vinny have a tuba either, so I don't yeah. know. He lost well, me I mean, there. He was all on board with like the rock thing, but he just didn't understand the direction Daryl wanted to take with the style of guitar, or with the, the, right. the distortion he wanted to do and the different techniques he wanted to try. He just didn't really understand that. Well, so this is... Yeah. They've, they've put out like one or two albums at this point? Uh, well, this is just coming <laughs> into their first album. So 1983, uh, okay, they, released, yeah. they released the album Metal Magic. Was the name so of the this album. is like this is like birth of thrash basically like that stuff is just becoming uh not even really mainstream i guess like maybe just it's starting to hit so i i guess i understand where the dad is coming from yeah like thrash thrash was just in its infancy at this time so like right. pantera was far removed from thrash at this point 
Like they had no, yeah. like their influences were all like what I was talking about before, right? Like Kiss yeah, Genesis and Van Halen and stuff like that. And so the, the, we'll get to that. Like, so, so first album was pretty much straight glam, glam metal. And uh, if you ever see the cover of the album, it's pretty goofy. It's got like this cartoonish drawing of this barbarian panther holding a sword. It's pretty, pretty funny. So you said goofy. That sounds awesome. Well, it's yeah. I mean, awesome in like a kind of <laughs> like che- a cheesy '80s way, right? Cheesy cartoony way, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and even though the the album was pretty typical glam metal, uh, like the production was pretty good, but but it was it was pretty standard shit at the time. But Daryl's guitar was already starting to show through how how good he was and how good he was going to become. Right. So the the first song of the album is called "Ride My Rocket." <laughs> it's like pretty Subtle. cliche '80s crap. Yeah, mm-hmm. like sexual innuendo. <laughs> But uh, if you ever listen to the, listen to it, it sounds just like Kiss's Detroit Rock City when it starts up, like the guitar in it. So you can see right away, like his or hear right away his influence from just a very Tiff very direct Bailey. inspiration. Yeah. So and, and uh, another funny thing too is that at first uh, Terry, Vince, and Daryl were all like pretty straight edge, like they didn't smoke or really drink or do drugs or anything, which is pretty ironic because Dimebag Daryl. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna is, say like his name yeah. is a drug later. <laughs> yeah, like later on, obviously it, it changed quite a bit because they ended up <laughs> yeah. being known as like super hard partying guys, right? But yeah, exactly. and uh, Daryl even wanted Rex out of the band at one point early on because he found out that Rex smoked weed. <laughs> Dimebag Daryl. <laughs> So, uh, and another uh, fun fact about Rex Brown is that he turned down a college scholarship to study jazz before joining Pantera. Was, uh, this is not at all the bit. origin story of this band would have. <laughs> yeah, that's why we're doing it. A lot of people <laughs> won't so, have any yeah. idea of this. And, and I'd like to point out, one of the reasons I'm covering this is because Pantera, as, as a band, like everyone knows how influential they were in the 90s. They were like probably the biggest metal band in the 90s. And uh, one of the biggest metal bands of all time, but their stuff from the '80s not only helped shape what they would become, but also was pretty solid music for the time. You know, like besides a lot of the cliche, some of the generic, yeah. Like, like ly- lyrically, it was it was pretty standard stuff, but musically, it was they were actually pretty well. They, they practiced a lot. They were really on point with their timing and their and their uh, instruments and stuff, and their songwriting was actually better than a lot of bands that were on big labels at the time. So uh, I just, I think it's uh, pr- pretty cool to go back and check it out because a lot of people probably have never heard this stuff. And uh, oh, yeah, like I've, I've listened to, I mean, you're my older brother. I've heard a lot of Pantera. I've only ever heard the nineties Pantera. And I honestly yeah. did, I didn't know about this at all before this. And well, it, it, it kind of blows my mind. Yeah. Even, even me, like I was way more into the nineties stuff for, for years. Right. But also a thing is too, is that, None of these albums got re-released, and they were all released on on their own label. And there was very limited print of of all the all those albums, and uh, you can't even find them anymore, really, unless you get them like through a collector or something. 
So it's it's just you, you can't get them on Spotify or anything. So it's that's probably one of the reasons that a lot of people haven't heard them too. Yeah, well, that's that's a thing. I um I was trying to look up those those songs from Metal Magic that you were talking about, and yeah, it's not on there. You can't find yeah. it on Spotify. Yeah, I had to find other ways to acquire them. There, yeah. Unfortunately, the band hasn't re-released them. I and there's a, a, a in the book I was reading, there was a quote from Terry Glaze because Terry Glaze obviously was out of the band before they got huge. Right. And uh, he was ho- hoping that they would re-release those albums because he could probably buy a house with the money. Because <laughs> he, he would get <laughs> he would get royalties off of it. Yeah, well, <laughs> just from name recognition, people would buy the albums, right? Have they yeah. have they stated why they won't re-release it? Are they like embarrassed or something? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know now because Daryl and Vince are both deceased now. So, oh, Vince uh, is dead too, eh? Yeah, I, I mean, that's something that we get to probably in another show about Pantera with their, you know, the 90s and the 2000s and stuff. But yeah, they're both yeah. deceased now. So the, the next album they put out was called Projects in the Jungle in 1984. Okay. And musically, it's actually much more advanced than the first album. So you can really hear like Daryl's guitar is, is getting even better. The recording's better, I find. The only thing that I uh, I notice about the recording is instrumentally it sounds great, but the the vocals always sound a little bit muffled to me. But, uh, okay, I mean, so mixing is not quite there. Yeah, and, and I think even though it was in a recording studio, it's still they had they didn't have the backing of a big label, so they didn't have like a lot of money to spend on it, right? So yeah, was was, was their dad still producing at this point? Yeah, yeah, their dad produced okay. those those first even the, the first four albums, even the first one with Phil as well. Wow. Okay. But but I mean, saying that I mean it still sounds really good. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, but the the cover, the the uh, the album cover to Projects in the Jungle, it honestly looks like it was drawn in pencil crayon by an eleven year old. <laughs> it's like the, <laughs> the worst. Like I looked at it closer, and even though the first album looks kind of goofy, but it, it looks like it was done by a semi professional, like just the way it was colored and stuff. But like yeah, Projects yeah. in the Jungle, yeah. honestly looks like like scrawled pencil crayon. It's it hilarious. Really does. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll put it. <laughs> We'll put a link to this uh, or something in the description. But looking it up now, it literally, it look you can see the texture of what is honestly might be pencil crayon. <laughs> yeah, like I think they took all the effort they put in to the album, like in the songwriting and like the um, and the recording and stuff, and put absolutely zero effort into the cover. <laughs> At this time, they started changing their names around, so adopting stage names. So Terry okay. Glaze became Terrence Lee, uh, Daryl Abbott. He started using the name Diamond Daryl. Okay. Uh, Rex Rocker still used that name, and then uh, mm-hmm. Vince Abbott. He changed his name to Vincent Paul for that album. So uh, eventually, he'd be Vinnie Paul, and then uh, Daryl actually called himself Diamond because it came from the the song Black Diamond off of Kiss Alive. Which so he's is, uh, still still a massive Kiss fan at this point, I guess. Oh yeah, well, he always was. Like he he's always a huge like he used to he used to make like like later on in the '90s and stuff. There's videos of him making like Kiss costumes out of like cardboard and shit <laughs> and like going on stage with this like makeshift ace Frehley costume and like That's playing sick. guitar like, yeah it's hilarious but uh yeah this album definitely took a heavier it took the uh, band in a heavier direction from metal magic you can you can hear like if you ever listen to one than the other you can re- really hear them going in that direction so they're not right. quite a, a like a thrash stage yet but it's definitely heavier but they're but they're um, heading there yeah yeah and the band like according to glaze they used to practice practice and play all over texas and they're really seasoned at that point already so another little story from that time period too there's a guy named kenny king he was a roadie for the band and around this time he ended up becoming daryl's guitar tech and daryl trained him how to work his guitar effects pedals for him and apparently most guitarists they normally handle their own effects pedals 
So having this guy do it for him and you're able to trust him with it, it freed him up to do whatever he wanted on stage. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a pretty surprising thing to hear because uh, that's a lot of like direct control that you kind of need the feel for. Yeah, he must have had like a really good connection with him and really understood what he needed because I, I mean, I'm not a guitarist, but I can understand why somebody would, would have trouble handing off that to somebody else. You know. I can relate a talent show experience I had when I was 12 to this. Uh, we, were, <laughs> we were playing Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana, and there's a part where it goes from clean to distorted, and yeah. I didn't have a pedal. You have to press a button on the amp. So I was trying to get the drummer's younger brother to be like, okay, when we get here, you need to press the button, and the kid <laughs> just did not understand what to do. So uh, I understand the struggle, or I understand how much trust you need to have in someone for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I can understand, like, press the button is a very confusing instruction. Exactly, so. yeah. <laughs> uh, so about this time, their dad stopped going on the road with them. Because up to that point, he used to come with them and help them do their, like, setup and everything. And he was really involved. And uh, also around this time, Daryl developed a friendship with Lars and James from Metallica after they had performed together in Fort Worth in 85. Okay. And they, uh, I guess they'd gone back to Daryl's place and jammed. And uh, this relationship opened up Daryl to appreciate heavier metal. Because before his influences had been a little bit different, right? More like hard rock and stuff like that. And uh, this started to expose him to just the, the heavier side of it. Well, yeah, this is Master of Puppets time, right? Yeah, this is right when Metallica was just getting huge, right? Well. Uh, and Terry Glaze eventually got tired of the heavier direction the band was taking. It wasn't really his cup of tea. And uh, he was always getting outvoted by the brothers and the dad. And he ended up leaving Pantera. He also mentioned disagreements about money and the split with their dad, Jerry. Oh, trying to find a new singer. They uh, first tried out a guy named Matt Lemore, and uh, apparently he couldn't hit the high notes that Glaze could, and so they weren't able to play a lot of their songs. So that didn't work out. Uh, okay. Then there was, then there was a guy named Rick Mathiason. He played a few gigs with them, but he had trouble handling the band's hard partying. So like he was pretty young at the time, and yeah, I guess he just was like getting burnt out real fast. So it, it's pretty far cry from the early days when they didn't even like drink or smoke. Eh? And I was like, say, guys yeah. can't even handle them. The next guy they tried out with is a guy named Dave Peacock. He was a local guy from Arlington. And uh, he'd gone to junior high with Daryl and Vinny. Um, he wasn't really into the, the glam look with like the spandex and hairspray. Like those guys, if you ever look at the, the band's pictures on the album covers from those first three albums, they're, they're pretty goofy, man. Like they, they got like oh, the yeah. make. It's, it's, it's like a poor man's Molly Crew, right? Like that's, I've, been, I've been scrolling through and like... Uh, Later on, the singer that we're kind of building up to, uh, Phil Anselmo and Dimebag Daryl, they have very specific looks. You can't even recognize uh, Dimebag Daryl in these old photos. They don't even know which one he is. No, it's pretty funny. Man, I, personally, I, if you look at the picture from uh, Power Metal, like R Rex Rocker's hair, like at the yeah. time, I, he, he ended up changing his name to just Rex and then just Rex Brown, I guess. But yeah. he's got this like, goofy blonde hair with like these stupid bangs. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I guess Peacock had a lot of fun partying with them, but it turned out his voice just wasn't really suited for the material that they'd written for their next album, which would be uh, Power Metal, and he just decided he didn't want to do it. So the band, for a very short period, they actually rehired their original singer, Donnie Hart, but uh, he only lasted about six weeks, and then they, they gave him the boot. So in uh, 1987, they found Phil Anselmo. Uh, Phil was from New Orleans, and uh, the band that he was actually in when Pantera found out about him was called Razor White, I guess Razor White had been playing with a band called Lillian Axe. So there's a guy named Steve Blaze from Lillian Axe, and he pointed Pantera in Phil's direction uh, after like hearing him sing a bunch of times when he opened for their band. I, I'm surprised at how many guys they went through uh, and actually like tried out before they, they got there. 
yeah, this is all within a fairly short period of time, like probably like about a year. Mm. They were trying to find a new singer. And Anselmo brought this other dimension to the band too. He, he had like a deep interest in horror films and that culture, and also heavier musical influences, influences like Slayer and Hellhammer. And uh, he was into like the satanic, satanic imagery of Venom, bands like that. Mm-hmm. So that definitely brought a new dimension from that the uh, other members were into at the time. And Phil was really instrumental in pushing the band further in that direction and like ditching that glam look with the spandex and the hairspray. Thank, thank God for that. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Uh, and, and around this time, the band caught the attention of a guy named Mark Ferrari. He was a guitarist for the band Keel. And uh, he tried pretty hard to get him a deal with his record label, uh, Gold Mountain. But the label wanted the band to take a commercial direction, and they decided to release the album on their own, just so they could do their own thing. Okay. But uh, one of the songs on that album is called uh, Proud to be Loud, and Ferrari actually wrote that song, and then Pantera like, covered his song on that album. Oh, cool. But uh, I wanted to mention that song because that song apparently is in the movie D2, The Mighty Ducks. <laughs> and, oh, hell yeah. Uh, and also it's in Donnie Darko. So, also a good movie. Yeah, so a couple of movies that people would have heard of. And, yeah. and Donnie Darko, the, it's the Pantera version of the song, but the credit, the band was credited as the Dead Green Mummies. So they had like a pseudonym, I guess, whatever. But it, it, it's actually the Pantera version. Yeah. Cool. So this album, Power Metal, though, you can really hear their departure from the glam metal sound and then the influence of like, thrash and especially bands like Metallica in there. Right. So uh, one of the uh, a book that I, re- uh, that I read about this, and uh, it, it wasn't approved by any of the members of the band, but there's a book called Reinventing Metal. And it's, it's got a lot of stories from guys that were in the band before and guys that were around the band. And it's, it's pretty uh, objective because, you know, sometimes you'll get a story from one person in the band. And it's, it's pretty uh, one-sided, a lot of the stuff. But it was a really good book, and it had a lot of good stories in it. So we'll definitely do a part two on Pantera, and we'll, we'll talk about their transition to from glam metal to basically worldwide metal dominance in the 90s. So yeah, that'll, this, that'll this be is just kind of like early years into Phil Anselmo territory. Yeah, I, I just want to show some appreciation for where they came from and and the quality of the material they put out before they yeah. became big, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is all stuff that like I didn't know at yeah. all. So uh, we'll get into the workout playlist now? Cool, all right. Yeah, let's get into it. I ain't got time to bleed. This is the Let's put a smile on that face. Long week, quick drink. All right, so I'm just gonna do. We're, we're talking about four albums here, so I'm just gonna do two uh, two songs off each album. Cool. All right. So uh, first songs, we'll we'll just go in chronological order here. So the first song is "I'll Be All Right" off Metal Magic. So the song's got a pretty fast, heavy riff from Daryl, and to me personally, it reminds me of like really early Def Leppard, and uh, Daryl's got a great solo in it. And keep in mind, Daryl's only 17 years old in this too, so pretty impressive. Okay. Uh, uh, are, are these songs on? Spotify? No, you'll you'll be able to find them on on YouTube though. Sorry. All right. All right. Let me let me give uh let me give I'll be all right a, a listen here.
I can really hear the kiss in there. Look for for sure. I don't even know if basic is the the right word. I guess yeah, like compared to their later stuff, that's a lot more like complicated, but very oh, very early eighties. If anyone wants to hear Kiss, listen to Ride My Rocket. It'll be like this sounds like <laughs> Detroit Rock City. <laughs> it's really just the same song. Yeah. Okay, the next right. song is yep. uh, a song called Tell Me If You Want It. So to me, I mean most of the things I've read, people don't really talk about the song, but to me I just I love the riff. It's got this like mid tempo riff. It just really it's like a really catchy one. And uh, Vinny's drums are really good in it too, like really heavy. And uh, it's, it's got a catchy hook. I, I don't know. If you check out the riff, I, I personally, I love it. All right. I'll give this one a shot. Tell me if you want it. I didn't expect the keyboard. That's not what uh-huh. the hell. This is, this is like, remember, this is 1983. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> right off the bat. Like, <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard that in another Pantera song. It was good. I kind of like it. It's It's got a really catchy riff. Yeah. Uh, the next song, number three, it's called All Over Tonight. It's the first song on Projects in the Jungle. And this song just, it, it builds up briefly and then it just like kicks in and it's uh, it's got a little bit of light, of sh- light and shade at the start and then like a great chorus right. and Glaze's voice actually sounds pretty good in this one, hitting the high notes. All right, I'll give that one a shot. Oh, immediately, like way heavier. Oh yeah, you can tell the difference right away. It's still, it's crazy because like I hear it and it still doesn't quite sound like the Pantera I know. Maybe the solo a little bit, but uh, it's the difference in the band sound is insane. Yeah, I mean every every album that we go through, it's gonna get closer and closer to what they would become. Yeah, it's kind of like again like the Al Jorgensen thing, where it's like you can see or you can hear like the progression. The, the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the, the next song, number four, it's called Out for Blood off uh, the same album, Projects in the Jungle. Uh, this song, to me, it showcases the, the heavier direction a little more that uh, coming from Metal Magic, and uh, it's a, more of a fast-paced rocker. Pretty solid. Okay. Yeah, I'll give a shot, Out for Blood. That one's much heavier. It's, that, that one's a lot more like Shades of the 90s. All right, we're going to number five, a song called Down Below. It's off of All I right. Am The Night. So uh, th- this song, it's got a, like a killer riff. It's like even further change in direction from the first two albums, like going heavier. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a good one. All right, let me, shot. Uh, let me give this a shot. The first comment on this is, this is Dimebag Daryl saying, you'll never be able to play this solo. So I have high hopes. <laughs> I have high hopes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, personally, I can never play any of his solos. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I remember when I was I took guitar lessons for 
for like five years or something. And then it was like the fifth year. I was pretty young. Like, yeah, let's try playing Cowboys from Hell. And I could not get it. <laughs> so yeah, good luck. I already know. Yeah. All right. Uh, down below. Give it a shot. Oh yeah, that's intense. That's yeah, awesome. and keep keep in mind too they they did another version of this on Power Metal with Phil. It's the same yeah. song, but just with Phil's vocals. And I, I didn't I didn't want to put it on here twice, but I wanted to put it on uh, number five just to show that progression better. You know, like they were already getting quite a bit heavier. Yeah, no, it's awesome. So number six is a song called Valhalla, also also off I Am the Night. Ah, there oh. we go. Yeah, so like, it's oh. even faster and heavier. Uh, and it's one of the few songs from the albums without like super cheesy cliche glam lyrics, right? <laughs> right. Okay. Well, I'll uh, I'll give this a shot, Valhalla. This is the album you said his vocals were uh, a little bit. Can I, I, I found I found them a little bit more muffled than the previous album, but they're all yeah, fairly yeah. similar. Yeah, I see. I see what you're saying there. Like it's still it's still an awesome song, but like you can hear, yeah. like it sounds kind of echoey or, or something. Yeah, yeah, a little echoey and muffled. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I got you there, but it's still an awesome song. Oh yeah. All right. What's uh? Was that the last song? Are there more on there? Nope. Uh, we got number seven. Uh, okay, sweet. A song called "Over and Out" from Power Metal. So this song, you can really start to hear like some thrash influence. So it's like there's thrash riffs in here. Like personally, I can hear some stuff in there that sounds like a bit like Metallica, a bit even like Anthrax sort of. It's, you can definitely hear some thrash in there. And uh, really, the lyrics are garbage, but the music is pretty great. <laughs> and then power metal. This is the first album with with Phil and Salmo. Yeah, yeah. This is the first All album right. with Phil on vocals. All right, over and out. Give it a shot. Oh yeah, just taking another step in that in that direction. Hello, yeah, and if you awesome. if you listen to the whole song, they it, it changes a few times, and every time it changes, you can hear like the influence of another band. You know, I, I could hear a little bit of Megadeth there, a little bit of Metallica, just yeah. different guitar influences that he was getting at the time. You know, well, de- definitely, especially the way the the last couple songs have uh, have opened, you can hear that like heavy, like rhythmic kind of thing that uh, Megadeth and Metallica were were doing for sure. Yeah, well, once he started to meet those guys and, and play with them and, and learn some of their their techniques and stuff. Yeah. So there's song number eight, the the last song. Uh, okay. It's Proud to be Loud, that we were talking about before. I just put that on there because it's a, it's a pretty standard 80s glam song, but it's, uh, it's, it's catchy, pretty solid. It's uh, written by Mark Ferrari, and it's featured on those couple of movies that I was talking about. So right. I figured I'd throw that one in there. All right. Make sure you get the right version. The power metal version, right? 
Yeah, the Pantera version. Yeah. No, there's there's one that comes up where it's like, as heard from Donnie Darko. Yeah, that'd be the Pantera version. <laughs> It's funny that, like, compared to uh, the last one was pa- over and out. Um, mm-hmm. Proud to be loud sounds a little more glammy. Like they still have have that in there. Yeah, well, because they, they didn't write it either, right? It was written yeah. by, by a different guy. So I just I just put it in there because it's a little more recognizable than some of the other stuff on there. But it it doesn't show as much of the direction as they were going as the other songs do. On that yeah, album. for sure. So still good, just like not uh, not not the same direction. Yeah, I, I mean, power metal's got a lot of heavy stuff on it. So I mean, I recommend for anybody to check out the whole album, probably you know, just to hear how Pantera was kind of transitioning from one type of music to the other. Mm-hmm. So a quick honorable, we just a quick honorable mention. A song called "Hard Ride" on Power Metal. It's it's like a terrible cheesy song, but I love it. <laughs> hard, hard, ride. hard ride, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, this is a shot. I, embarrassingly enough, it's like my favorite song on the album. <laughs> I can see the I can see the lyrics before I start it, and it starts off with "You're in the danger zone. You yeah, can't be left so, alone." Yeah, it's so so cheesy, but I I just love it, man. All right, hard ride. Let's give it a shot. That's awesome. It starts off with what almost sounds like a mandolin. I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right. So, so that was uh, that was the honorable mention. So, is that the workout playlist? That is it. Yeah. Let's All right. Wrap it up. All right. Cool. Um, well, that is going to do it for this episode of the heavy. See the show notes for a complete list of the songs you heard in the episode. If we didn't mention them or you missed it. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please tell a friend and leave us a star rating. Our show is edited by Ian Sutherland with Andrew doing all the research. Our brother Rob Sutherland designed our logo and our theme is Stallions of the Highway by Savage Blade. I'm your host, Don Sutherland. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you again in two weeks. Later. Later.